Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. My name's Michael, and I'm one of the pastors, and I want to welcome you today, especially if it's your first time, whether it's here in our worship center over in the Ridge venue. Uh, it's great to be with you today. Uh, it's really fun. Last weekend, I was up at this time in the Sierras, so backpacking in the Sierras, and uh, praise the Lord, I'm back. No misadventures, no stories, no deaths, no near-death experiences. I took a buddy who was a search and rescue friend, so... Uh, I was like going to be fully prepared this time in case anything happened. So um, anyway, great to be with you. And uh, we're going to be going into our time of teaching. But one thing I want to mention before we do that is that uh, in a couple of weeks on August the 12th, we're starting a two-week course. It's a two-Sunday night course from 6 to 9 uh, that's called uh, The Movement at Rocky Peak. And this is a course we offer about twice a year where we share our vision, our values, our strategies, and it's the course you take if you want to become what we call a partner. Some churches call a member. And uh, we normally do it twice a year, but we haven't done it in a year because I was writing the Pursuing God uh, curriculum earlier this year. And so we're looking forward to a, a, a large class. And so uh, it's on the back of your program. Just want to get you uh, uh, aware of that because with vacations, I know a lot of you are in and out at this time of year, and I want to take you by surprise. So uh, you can sign up for that. It tells you how to do that. But uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And inside your program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week for our time. I'm looking forward to the message today. It's a topic on the table. And so if you're ready to go, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to jump in? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here and to be pursuing you as a church. And we just, we don't take these times for granted, Lord, because we know that yesterday is gone and tomorrow is not yet here, that this is the day that you have made for all of us. This is the one day we have to, to live, to listen for your voice, to respond, um, to, be, to pursue you. Uh, to know you better, to be transformed. And so we want to make the most of this day and not take it for granted. And so we just pray that you would be here by the power of your spirit. We pray you'd speak through me. We pray that you give all of us ears to hear what the spirit is saying to his church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today uh, the story starts in a small town and it's where he's grown up. Uh, it's a very small, it's a village. It's maybe 200, 300 people, uh, maybe as many as 500 at times, but it's not far from a major city. And uh, it's, it's off the beaten track, but not far from a major thoroughfare. And so uh, from time to time, uh, news will get through. It will eventually come. And uh, he'll never forget the day that uh, he heard the news for the first time, that a radical young leader had arisen in the South with a dynamic, challenging message, and people were responding in droves. Um, and so if he could look into the future, he would see that it wouldn't be that long before this young radical leader would be arrested because of the political implications of his message. But on this day, that had not yet happened. And so uh, came a day when he decided he needed to travel south to hear this person for himself. And so he took the, the journey, and uh, when he arrived, he'll never forget uh, kind of walking up the back of the huge crowds that assembled there to hear him, the radical firebrand of a message, the charismatic personality, the tremendous sway he had over the crowd. He could understand why the authorities were concerned um, and he'll never forget that moment 
when he decided to respond to the message himself. It was, a mess, it was a decision that would change the course of his life and set him on a new trajectory um, that would put his life one day in danger as well. Well, today we are continuing our series that we've been in now for about four weeks called Unfiltered, the Audience of One. And if you're brand new, I want to welcome you. Um, and this is a series about Jesus. Uh, what we've learned in this series is when it comes to Jesus that many times uh, we, we tend to have uh, a lot of filters that keep us from seeing him for who he really is. Filters that have built him up over time, maybe from our background, from our upbringing, from our church experience, from Sunday school. Uh, it could be through college, sec like secular college courses or PBS Discovery Channel documentaries through popular novels, movies, but or these filters uh, build up over time. And our goal in this series is to go back in time to the first century and do the best we can to remove some of these filters so we can see Jesus uh, through first century lens, who he really was, what it means to follow him today. And so right now, we're in the midst of a section uh, of his life that's where he's doing some teaching, the most famous teaching he'll ever deliver. Uh, it's also probably the most famous message in the history of the world anyone's ever given called the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we're right in the middle in chapter 6. And so uh, what we're going to do today uh, is in this sermon, Jesus is sharing kind of God's vision for our life. He's, Jesus is rolling out uh, God's vision for this new movement. Jesus is announcing that he calls the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the heavens. And, uh, and what it looks like to be truly transformed to be the people we are created to be. So we're going to pick it up today in chapter 6 of Matthew and verse 1, and then we'll jump to later in the chapter. So there in your note sheet is a section called The Audience of One, Jesus in Fasting. And we're going to pick it up uh, chapter 6, verse 1, and then we'll jump down to verse 16. So in chapter 6 and verse 1, it's sort of Jesus' thesis statement for the next 18 verses. He's going to make one big statement and the three illustrations to, uh, to tease out the statement. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Like, do the right things, but don't do them for the wrong reasons. Uh, when you're pursuing God, you're doing the right things, uh, do it to, for God. Don't do it to impress people. So be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, we need to step back just for a second. And again, just remind yourself quickly of the context. Way back in chapter 5 and verse 20, Jesus had made an introductory statement to the body of the message uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. And what he said is that, if you want to be part of God's movement, you want to be part of God's kingdom, that your righteousness, your rightness has to surpass that of the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who were highly respected as the most spiritual people. And so this would have been shocking in context. And so Jesus went on to explain there's a big difference between real righteousness, which is being transformed to be like our Father truly good, right, and true in the deepest sense of the word, there's a big difference between real righteousness and religious righteousness. 
So religious righteousness, as Jesus will show, is superficial, it's traditional, it's man-made, it's based on superficial interpretations of the word. And so after he makes his statement, Jesus goes on to give six illustrations to compare kind of the old way of righteousness, religious righteousness, with real righteousness. So when he gets to chapter 6 and verse 1, he begins to continue this talk on righteousness, but now not so much uh, on what to do or not to do, but on how to pursue God in our life. And he gives us three illustrations. So in Jesus' day, it was sort of taken for granted that a righteous person would do certain things. Three of the most important things that a righteous person would do is, number one, they would give to the poor. We talked about that. Number two, they would pray. And number three, they would fast. And so Jesus is going to use these three illustrations to illustrate this principle. They have to do the right things, but do them for the right reasons, which is not for the approval of others, but for the, to live for the audience of one. So the last three weeks, we've looked at the first two principles. We talked about giving to the poor three weeks ago. Last two weeks, we talked about prayer. And today, the topic then is fasting. So if you have your Bibles, we'll pick it up at verse 16. If your apps will go there, verse 16 where he goes to this third illustration. So he says, uh, what's the first word here? When. when. Okay, good. You should be awake. It's 11 o'clock. You got a good night's sleep. We give you whole donuts. We don't cut them up. Uh, you've got special coffee. There's fair trade coffee. It should be better than that. All right. So the very first word, what's the first word? When. when. Very good. So when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, like the religious leaders, for they like to disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Like, hey, Shimon, are you okay today? Like, you look sick, man. Like, oh, oh really? Oh, I didn't know. It's probably because I'm fasting, you know? And um, he says, um, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. They're trying to impress people. They are, wow, what a spiritual person you are. He says, but, you know, that's all you're going to get. Like, the God's not going to reward you. So when you fast, put oil on your head. So it's talking about, like, olive oil. Um, that was the, the natural hair product of the day. And uh, <laughs> like not motor oil. Some guy's like, oh, this is really weird. But, um, uh, but he says, wash your face. So let's go through your normal grooming habits. Look normal. You know, don't go out wearing disheveled clothes. Your hair is all a mess. What's wrong? Oh, I'm mourning. I'm fasting. That's the idea. He says, so it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what's done in secret, he will reward you. Now, as is the case in all the other two examples, you know, giving a prayer and, uh, and giving the poor, Jesus is not setting down some sort of new religious rule that never under any circumstance would you talk about fasting or prayer or giving to the poor. We've seen that every time. Jesus likes to use hyperbole to make a point. And so Jesus, we'll see later, Jesus fasted and he told his disciples. The New Testament will have examples today of people fasting everyone knew. So it's not some sort of, uh, you know, never any exception. But what Jesus is saying is in general, when you do the right things to pursue God, do them for the right reasons. And the right reasons is not to impress people, but to seek God. 
And one of the best ways to make sure you're doing it for the right reason is to practice the discipline of secrecy. Don't talk about it. That's, that would be the norm. And that way you know for sure you're doing it for God, not for others. And also it helps free you from this natural addiction to approval that we have for others. All right, so that's the passage. Now, that's the passage, but it raises this important topic of fasting. I don't know how many of you have ever heard a message on fasting but in general, in contemporary Christianity, Bible-believing Christianity, there's not usually a lot of talk about fasting. Now, we're a little bit ahead of the curve here because this year in our Rooted series in winter and in Pursuing God in the spring, we talked about fasting in both of those series. But today I want to give a message on fasting because Jesus assumes that we will fast. It's part of the way we pursue God to live a truly righteous life. And what I found is because it's not really in vogue with most Christians today, there's a lot of questions that it raises. So it's not uncommon. Like in the last two weeks, I've gotten two emails from people about fasting. And one of them, you know, the, the person felt like God was calling them to go on an extended fast. And they had very practical questions. How do you do this? They felt like God was calling them to go on a seven-day fast. Will I die? Uh, do you think that's realistic? Do I need to stay in bed the whole time? Uh, how do I approach this? And so when we talk about fasting, there's a lot of really uh, important questions. And so what I want to do today is start with one picture, big picture principle about fasting and then secondly, come back and answer uh, four FAQs, uh, frequently asked questions about fasting, so that as a church, as we move in the future, we'll be able to listen and follow the Holy Spirit with confidence when and if he calls us to fast. All right, so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Fasting 101, the big picture. So uh, the first principle is very simple. You see it obviously in this passage, is that Jesus assumes that we will fast. Um, this is why at the beginning when we read the passage together that I kept at what's the first word? You know, when. Uh, notice that Jesus doesn't say if you fast, but what? But when you fast. And this is what we've seen in all three examples. Jesus doesn't say if you give to the poor. He says when you give to the poor. He doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. He doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. And so Jesus assumes that as his followers that we will fast. What's crazy though is that in our culture today, kind of modern Christianity, this is often not assumed. And in fact, just like uh, three weeks ago when I talked about giving the poor, I said that as followers of Jesus, we're very comfortable and familiar with the concept of giving generously to advance the kingdom, but we're often very unaware of his call to give to the poor in a similar way with fasting. And so, for example, there in your note sheet, I put a quote from uh, one of the most uh, kind of popular, well-known, gifted uh, pastor teachers of the 20th century, uh, the second half of the 20th century, a man, a British pastor named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And in his commentary on this passage of Scripture, this is what he writes. He said, for evangelicals, in other words, Bible-believing kind of Christians who love Jesus and believe you need to be born again and all that, he says, uh, for evangelicals, this whole question of fasting has almost disappeared from our lives and even out of the field of our consideration. How often and to what extent have we thought about it? What place does it occupy in our whole view of the Christian life and the discipline of the Christian life? I would suggest that, that the truth probably is that we're very rarely thought of it at all. 
I wonder if we have ever fasted. I wonder if it's ever occurred to us that we ought to be considering the question of fasting. The fact is, that is it not, that this whole subject seemed to drop right out of our lives and right out of the whole Christian thinking. And I think in general, across uh, evangelical Bible-leading church, that would be true. Now, like I said, we have a, a leg up on this because of rooted and pursuing God. We've actually talked about this some this year, but in general, that would be true. And so uh, the, uh, the irony is Jesus assumes it uh, in his life, uh, and he not only assumes it, he models it. You know, today we started the story of this young man grows up in this uh, kind of small village near a larger city, uh, near a main road, um, and uh, that's the story of Jesus. Uh, Jesus grew up in the small village of Nazareth, probably 200 to 500 people based on archaeological research, and, uh, and so he gets news one day that his cousin, John the Baptist, has launched a new movement in the south of the country, and he's making this huge proclamation, the kingdom of God is coming, which Rome would see as a political statement. And uh, the people were uh, coming to him in droves to be uh, baptized, to prepare for the coming of Messiah. And so at a certain point, Jesus feels called to go down. He observes it, and at a certain point, he feels the call to be baptized. Now, you remember that when he's baptized, this is a critical turning point in Jesus' life. His life would never be the same. This is like go time. That when he's baptized, he comes out of the water. He is anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the king of Israel. Uh, like the kings of Israel be anointed. Uh, like David's son. He was anointed by the Spirit. The Father said, this is my son uh, which, with whom I'm well pleased, which is messianic language, king language. Uh, the, the kings of Israel were called the sons of God. He says, this is my son. And so right after that, I don't know if you remember, but Jesus was led by the Spirit. It's very clear in the Gospels. He was led by the Spirit. Mark says he was driven by the Spirit out into the wilderness like Israel of old, like Elijah, like Moses, to go out and spend a month and a half, 40 days with the Father, preparing to launch his ministry. And if, as he's out there doing spiritual warfare, Mark makes it clear that warfare is going on the whole time. That is, he's out there doing warfare, preparing, seeking God in prayer to launch his ministry. Uh, we're also told that he was what? For 40 days. He was fasting, right? It played a major part in his spiritual growth and his development and his pursuit of the Father. In fact, I don't know if you remember this, but when the enemy came for the final barrage of attack uh, on the 40th day, the very first area of attack was on the fast. Do you remember that? The very first attack was, if you really are the son of God, if, if that's really true, why don't you demonstrate that, prove it by taking these stones and turning them into loaves? And do you remember what Jesus said? He quoted a passage from Deuteronomy 8. Do you remember what he said? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We know the quote, but we often don't know the context of the quote. So here's the context. In, Deut in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the nation of Israel is about to go into the promised land. Moses is giving them some final messages to prepare them. And he's, in Deuteronomy 8, he says, for the last 40 years, God brought you out here in this wilderness. He led you through this wilderness. 
and you are completely dependent on him for your daily bread. How did God feed them in the wilderness? Through manna, right? And I don't know if you remember, but you couldn't collect manna for a week. It came with an expiration date. It's like you try to keep it more than 24 hours, it gets worms. So God did that so they would learn to trust and obey him. And so in that passage, Moses says one of the reasons God did that was to teach you there's some things in life more important than even your food. And one of those things is to learn how to listen and follow God because your daily bread depends on it. And so look what he says. He says in Deuteronomy 8, Moses is speaking. He says, remember how Yahweh, remember Lord, all caps, Yahweh. Remember how Yahweh, uh, your God, led you all the way in the wilderness. He's 40 years. So Jesus is 40 days. They're 40 years. To humble and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you manna to teach you, here's a lesson, that people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, as you go in the promised land, the one lesson you need to get is you need to listen and follow what God tells you. Your success depends on that. And one reason God has led you here for 40 years is for you to learn, to listen, and follow your daily bread. He's used food to teach you so that you can be successful. And so when Satan comes and says to Jesus, why didn't you take matters in your own hand and turn the stones into bread? Jesus says, no, no, no. This is why he's led me in the wilderness. The Spirit has led me here when the Spirit wants me to turn stones into bread. If he, I will do that. Later, he will take five loaves and turn them to feed him 5,000. If the Spirit leads me to do that, if the Father calls me to do that, I will do that. But he has led me here to learn how to listen and follow. And the lesson I'm learning is the same lesson Israel was learning, that people don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That life is more than physical, life is spiritual, and there's some things in life more important than even eating, and that is the life of God that you live by following. Right? And so, what I want you to catch is that the Father used fasting to discipline and teach and train His Son. And Jesus assumes that we will, there will be times when the Spirit calls us to fast. But like I said, this is so far out of our paradigm that sometimes I believe the Holy Spirit may be calling us to fast. And you know how this is. If something's outside of your paradigm, it's hard to hear it. Like once we taught on giving to the poor a few weeks ago, Probably for some of you, the Holy Spirit has called you to take some steps. Like I got an email from one person saying, hey, that, that you know, we just really felt like the Lord was speaking to us said that, and so we put this percentage of our income aside specifically for the poor. Like I'm sure that that happened to many of you is that as we taught on it, as the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to that, then we're in a better place to hear because it's part of our paradigm. And I believe it's the same with fasting. That for many of you, I believe that God is going to use fasting in your future. Maybe not today, maybe not this year, 
But there's going to come a time where God is going to use fasting to discipline, to teach, and to unleash his power in your life. But that can't happen unless we have a paradigm, or it's much easier to happen. Let's put it that way. It can happen. But it can be easier to happen if it fits part of our paradigm. So what I want to do today is I want to address this topic of fasting and answer four of the most frequently asked questions, the type of questions that people will ask me of like, hey, I feel like God's calling me to fast, but like, like uh, how do I do this? And why are we supposed to do this? And how long should I go? And what should I eat or not eat? And it should be a partial fast or a whole fast or just a whole, you know, what should I expect to happen during that time? So there in your note sheet, is a section called Fasting 101, the FAQs. And I just want to hit four of these. And I, this, this will give us a framework to talk about some of the most important issues. So number one, the first question is why? Why should we fast? I mean, why should, what's the point? Like, why do we give up eating um, for no good reason? Right? That doesn't make a lot of sense. And so it's a great question. And the interesting thing is, if you were to scour the Bible and say, why do we fast? You know what you'd find? There is no verse that says this is why you fast. It was just part of the culture. They kind of assumed, right? And so what we have to do is put on a detective hat, and we need to roll up our sleeves, and we just need to do a, take a case study approach and look at the, what the, the passages in the Bible when people fast. So you say, well, why were they fasting, and what happened? And that's what we'll be doing today. But I think in general, what you'll see if you were to do a study like that is that fasting in the Bible usually happens in time of great crisis or need or special need. There's some, some kind of special issue going on. And then fasting is a way, catch this, to intensify our focus by abstaining from food. Okay? It's a way of intensifying our spiritual focus by abstaining from food. It's a way of, by denying the physical, it's a way of developing the spiritual. And you'll see that as we go along. I think fasting is also a way of showing God that we're really serious about this. Um, I don't know if you uh, have young children or maybe young grandchildren or you've recently been with young children, but if you ever go with young children, let's just pick a four-year-old, and you're going through like a grocery store, it can be a nightmare, right? Because uh, from time to time, young kids, you'll see these moms, they're popping Valium as they go down the aisles. <laughs> They've got like three little kids and they're going up and down the aisle. They're just trying to do their duty, you know, buy groceries and they got their kids, mom, can I have this? Mom, can I have this? Can I have this? And it's like, no, you can't have that. No, you can't have that. Shut up. No, you can't have that. No, yeah, yeah. And they're just, and these kids are just sort of like, they're just, uh, they're like goldfish um, looking after shiny objects, you know? And they're just, uh, and they're picking all the worst things that would be worse for kids. And so the wise parent learns to say no. Right? The wise parent learns it. No, you can't have everything you want. That's not how life works. It will spoil you. And they also know the child really doesn't even want those things usually. They're just kind of bored. And uh, if they were to buy, if you were to buy them, and you'd end up with these 18 things, you know, in your shopping cart, by the time you got home, they'd all be ripped open on the floor, and no one's, they, the kids have forgotten about them, right? And then there are other times in your child's life as they grow 
There's something they really want, they're truly passionate about. It's not just a passing whim. They really want this thing, and you believe it's a good thing for them. And when you see your child really want something badly, even if you don't want it, like they want to take dance lessons, and you can't stand dance, right? And you're going to make a sacrifice to make that happen because you see how important this is to them. I remember, for example, when I was in junior high, that some of my friends, not close friends, more distant friends, were starting to get dirt bikes, you know, motorcycles. And I, I honestly had no interest. I would hear them talking about things that I, I didn't even know about or care about, like a lot of you are today about motorcycles. And so, for example, so you know, it's like they, they'd be talking about CCs, it's a 360, it's this or that, and it's just like going over my head and completely uninteresting. And then one day, we went uh, for a family, we, on, a, on a weekend, our family went out with another family to the desert, and they had three dirt bikes. And I got the bug. And I'm telling you, I came home, and all I could think about was motorcycles. And, I, and, and, and it's funny, because I don't know, my parents, they, they were not like whim parents. You know, they're the kind of parents like, no, get over it. Uh, <laughs> but they could tell that this really mattered to me. And maybe it's because my dad used to ride in college. I don't know what it was, but he saw this. And so it's like, Dad, can I have a motorcycle? And there wasn't any even big like fight over it or big negotiation. He said, yes. He said, if you're willing to, if you're willing to work for it, if you pay half, I'll pay half. I said, great. How soon can we get it? And he said, right away. I said, but I don't have my half. He said, I'll extend credit. Right? And so I began paying off, you know, month by month, and we got a used bike. And, um, and so he saw something in me that was different than normal. It wasn't a passing whim, and it wasn't a bad thing. And it was something that he saw, and his father's heart was moved to that. And here's what I want to say, says, often as followers of Jesus, when we pray, we're like the four-year-olds. I want this, I want that, bless this, save that, get this, want this, want this, want this, and then, yeah, and dun, dun, dun. You know, and the father's looking, it's like, you don't even want those things. You're trying to fill a hole in your heart with those things that those things can never even fill. And that's not even a good thing for you, and that wouldn't even be a good thing. And if you got it, it would be, you know, not, it would be something you wouldn't even appreciate, right? And then there comes other times when he sees that there is something that's really important to us and we're serious about it. In fact, we're so serious about it, we're willing to go without our food to seek him on it. And the father says, I get it, right? And that would be good for you. And he's gonna respond. And what you see in the Bible is that God responds to earnest prayer. You see, what, remember what, uh, what God says in uh, James chapter five, the Bible says, the earnest prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. The unearnest prayer, not so much. The earnest prayer. And when God sees us fasting, it moves his heart. This is, as a father's heart, it moves him, right? So what you see today is fasting is a way of intensifying our focus. It's a way of making the spiritual bigger, the physical less. It's a way of pursuing God for the most important things in life, and it, it moves the heart of God. We're serious about this, and we'll see that today. Now, number two, when? When should we fast? 
it's interesting, when you study the Bible, there are no commands about fasting. Um, there was one command to Israel in the law that uh, there was one day a year they were required to fast. It was on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the only day. In the New Testament, there are no commands. So it's like you think of all the commands, love one another, or you know, don't do this, or do this, and you think of all the commands, but there are, is no command, like fast. We see Jesus, though, assumes we will. And what that means is that I think there's a lot of freedom for us to fast as the situation dictates and as the Spirit leads. And yet, when you look at the Bible and you say, take this case study approach, when do people fast? You'll see several kinds of times when people will fast. And I want to run through those real quickly with you. The first time when people fast is during times of repentance. That fasting is often associated with times of repentance. We need forgiveness from God. We've been in rebellion. And we need to seek the Lord and to make it right. A great example is the prophet Joel, a time when the nation of Israel is in rebellion. He says there in your notes, she declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders, the leaders, and all who live in the land, the people, to the house of the Lord, to the temple, your God, and cry out to Yahweh, even now, declares Yahweh, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Return to me, leave the past behind, receive me with all of your heart, and fasting can be part of that. It's interesting, I mentioned the last couple weeks I've gotten two emails from people asking about fasting. And it's interesting because from this one, um, one young woman um, that she felt like, and we'll look at this later, but she felt like God was calling her to fast for seven days. And she'd never fasted for seven days. She fasted for one day. And so she wanted to know, is that safe? How do we go about it? Blah, blah, blah. And so uh, we were going back and forth. And so she's actually on day six today of her fast. And so I was talking with her recently, saying, how is that going? How is your week gone? What has God been doing? And it was interesting because she said, on day two, like out of the blue, this is very Holy Spirit, right? Day two, out of the blue, that the Holy Spirit began surfacing uh, a bunch of what she described as unconfessed sin. And she hadn't really thought of herself as having sin that was unconfessed. And she began to realize that there were certain areas where she had kind of known, but it kind of put aside. And there are other areas she was completely oblivious to. And it was like the, the, whole, the Lord was starting the week with a spiritual purge. Like, let's, let's get rid of anything in the way. And so she said she began to journal, and she journaled several pages of issues the Holy Spirit was just bringing to her mind. And uh, then she went with a close friend. This is beautiful. And you know, in James chapter 5, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. You may be healed. And she just felt like God was coming. So she went to a close friend, and she said, can I just read with you what the Holy Spirit has been showing me? I just want to confess my sins. And so a beautiful time of prayer and confession and just cleared the path spiritually for what God wanted to do in the rest of the week, which we'll talk about more later. And so you see this at fasting the Bible often associated with time of repentance, need for forgiveness. A second, a second category would be fasting you often see in times of crisis. Um, think of, uh, this is not on your note sheet, but think of Esther when the nation of Israel was uh, about to be destroyed in Persia 
and she, she's going to go before the king to plead their case. It was a life and death situation, and uh, she asked the nation of Israel, would you fast and pray for three days to prepare for that time of crisis? Another one on your note sheet. In Israel's history, there was the southern kingdom of Judah was under sudden attack by the, the kingdom of Edom, which was much stronger at that time. And so news came to the king Jehoshaphat, and here the message was, a vast army is coming against you from Edom. And alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of Yahweh. He went to seek the Lord, what do you want us to do? And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And so the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord, and indeed they came from every town. So this time of national crisis, fasting and prayer, and God intervened and protected them from this attack. Uh, we've already talked about Jesus and this important um, fasting, the, the role fasting played in his time to prepare him for his ministry. So Tommy's fasting can be a, a, something that God uses in time of preparation for a new venture, uh, a new cause. We'll see that a couple times today. Uh, the fourth example is from Acts 13, the early church. There's a fascinating account in Acts 13 where the leaders of the church of Antioch, which was a very famous and important church on the early church, uh, five of its top leaders, so uh, Luke calls them prophets and teachers, they got together, to, it says, to fast and to worship the Lord. And I, my, my hunch is they're probably seeking God for direction for their church because of what happened. But as they're, as they're fasting and worshiping, the Holy Spirit speaks to them. And I think very likely a prophetic word through one of the five leaders because they were prophets and teachers. And he said, uh, separate Saul and Barnabas. So that's you know, the Apostle Paul, Saul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them. And it says, after they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them out. So here's an example of where they're fasting to seek God and in the midst of that, God speaks. And then they fast again and lay hands on to send them out. And so uh, the, the category would be times of direction. Well, we need, we need direction from the Lord. We need him to give us leadership. When we're discerning his will is a great time uh, for fasting. And then the final example is similar to one of the earlier ones, but Acts 14 after Paul and Barnabas go into the Roman Empire and start uh, building their, uh, sharing Jesus and the first churches start, they need to appoint leaders, but who do you know who to appoint? You're new in town, you don't really know people there, uh, and so, Lord, would you show us? And so they fasted and prayed that God would show them who to lay hands on and appoint as leaders. And so you see, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in every church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And so these are some of the, the biblical examples. Uh, fasting during times of repentance, crisis, uh, launching of a new ministry, preparation, a uh, time of need for direction in our life, uh, a time of commitment for, for uh, some project that we're doing. But of course, these aren't the only times the Holy Spirit can lead us to pray in many different situations and often will and to fast in many situations for many different kinds of needs, you know. And over the years, I've seen in Lynn's life, in my life, many different wide variety of times. I remember uh, uh, one time a uh, crisis in our life where Lynn 
uh, hurt her back for the very first time. And we had just bought a new uh, house. It was the first time we'd bought a house. And she was working as a nurse. And so we were very dependent on her part of the income to make that part, you know, to, to help us pay for that. And so when she hurt uh, her back, it would be a long-term thing. And I felt like the Lord called me to go on a seven-day fast uh, in order to seek him for his direction, his provision for us. And he answered in a very amazing, surprising way. So it can be very, a wide variety of kinds of things in our life where the Holy Spirit can call us. It could be external circumstances. It could be spiritual growth. I remember the last really long fast I went on was about three years ago. And I was in Palm Desert. Lynn and I were away. And as I was there and spending time with the Lord, I just really felt like God was putting on my heart that uh, a new passion to see lost people come to Christ. And it just began to grow deeper and deeper until I felt like the only thing that could satisfy this hunger was to go without food, the fast. And so it led to a very long fast. But God, would you, would you create in me a new passion, a deeper passion for lost people to come to Christ? So it can really be uh, a wide variety. We just had this uh, illustration of... Uh, this uh, young woman that the, the Lord called for seven days, and there was really kind of unspecified. It wasn't like for this. It was just seek me for seven days. So it can really uh, vary uh, how that uh, works out. But one thing that I would say is that, at least in my experience, that fasting works best like every other area of our life when it's led by the Holy Spirit. And what I mean is that, uh, let me share a little bit of my, my journey with fasting. When I, um, I grew up in a church, it was an evangelical church, Bible church, good church, but I, I never heard about fasting once. It was like completely off the radar. And so um, at so, a certain point in my life as a young man, um, I, uh, I, I came across a book on fasting. And if you've ever read a book on fasting written by Christians, they're always raving fans about fasting. That's why. And so they made these great promises. If you fast, it'll, it'll draw you to God. It, it will, you'll experience his presence. It'll unleash his power in your life and power over sin. And just all these promises you know, that God uses fasting for. And so I got really excited about it. And I didn't feel called to fast. I just thought, well, if this is what I need to do, I'm going to fast. And so I decided to fast for three days. And my first fast, three days. And can I tell you, it was three of the worst days of my life. There was no power. There was no presence of God. The word did not come alive. I did not hear the voice of the Spirit. There was no new power over sin. Uh, all I experienced was hunger. I was hungry the whole time. I just could not wait until I was done with this fast so I could eat. So my whole focus was not on Jesus, but on the food that was coming Wednesday night. And I'll never forget walking to our local equivalent of a Dairy Queen and ordering taquitos, cheeseburger, root beer freeze. And then it was awesome until it wasn't. Uh, but over the next couple of years, that was my experience with fasting, is that I would try it again. It would be horrible. And finally, I came to a place where I entered into an agreement with God. And I said, Lord, uh, here's the deal. If you ever want me to fast, just let me know. But if you don't let me know, I am never fasting again in the rest of my life. And we have, that's been a deal that's worked for us for all these years. It was crazy. So I went for a couple years without fasting and uh, happily never thought I would be doing it again. 
And one day, my freshman year of college, uh, out of the blue, God just called me to go on a really long extended fast. And can I tell you, it was one of the most revolutionary, life-changing experiences of my life. It really shaped the course of my whole life. Um, and it's the difference to me is when the Spirit calls you to do something, and when you're just doing a, so it's a good thing, but it's in the flesh. It's just kind of your own thing, right? And so I'm just a big believer in this. And so one of the, one of the reasons why I'm teaching on it today is because what I want to do is to create a paradigm, a biblical paradigm for our church that we would be a church that believes in fasting and that we're open to fasting and so that if the Spirit begins to call you, you don't just go, that's weird, I had a thought of a fasting and blow it away because you have no place to put it in your brain that you go like, huh, that's interesting. Lord, do you want me to fast? Um, and a great example of that is this young woman that I was talking about earlier in this email. You know, so what happened in her life is that, uh, I'm going to read part of it, and she gave me permission to, to do this and to share part of her story. And um, so she wrote this email, and she said, Pastor Michael, um, she said, this friend of hers, I won't give the name, but encouraged me to reach out to you about getting a few tips on fasting, and I'm not sure if I'll see you on, uh, this week, so I figured I would try emailing. And so she said, here's her story. In the last week of pursuing God, the portion about fasting really struck me, how it isn't really something that's still commonly done or even talked about much today, but it's a powerful discipline we're still called to do. And then here was key. And as I was reading, I felt like this overwhelming, and that was in bold, overwhelming desire to do an extended fast. So what's going on is the Holy Spirit is stirring that. If you have an overwhelming desire to an extended fast, you know that's not normal, right? <laughs> what we have is like an overwhelming desire to stuff our faces. That's what's like natural, right? Uh, so if you have an overwhelming desire to go on an extended fast, chances are the Holy Spirit's stirring. But the beautiful thing was, because of rooted, because of pursuing God, she had a framework to begin to understand that. And so she said, and then I felt kind of scared. Ha ha. But for weeks, catch this, for weeks I couldn't get it out of my head. And so I asked the Lord about it, and it was surprising how immediately he gave me confirmation and direction on prayer during this time. And so with that, she's writing to me, asking me these really practical questions that like I'm kind of scared, you know, to fast for seven days. Like, will that be okay? Uh, do I need to stay in bed uh, all the time? Will I fall over in church and embarrass myself? This is all serious, right? And so I think it, it, raises, uh, it raises a lot of questions because it's something we're not familiar with. Like if we lived in a culture where fasting was normal, then we wouldn't have these questions. But since we don't, we need them answered. And that leads to, uh, well, let me say one other thing. A another example, the other email I got was from uh, a young woman in our congregation that uh, had written me a few weeks ago and just said that after Rooted, where we introduced fasting, that the Lord, she felt like the Holy Spirit put on her heart to fast once, one day every 10 days. And it's really interesting. And so what I, I'm seeing in, in our churches is like the Holy Spirit is, is stirring us 
because fasting can be a powerful tool to pursue God. And it was really cool, like um, in the seven-day fast lady, I was checking with her uh, recently, you know, and she's on day six now, and, you know, to see how the rest of the week has gone. And she said what, what happened in her life is that after day two, there was kind of the spiritual purging, that she began to experience this new hunger for God in her life. She said it was like insatiable. She said, I lost all interest in TV or social media. It's just like, I just, I was hungry for the word. I was hungry for prayer. I I felt like anything else was just like wasting my time. Well, that's not normal, right? But what's happening is that she's opening the door. The Holy Spirit is stirring something new in her. And so what a beautiful thing. And so fasting can be a powerful tool when it's done in response to the Holy Spirit and so uh, that's why we're exploring it. Now, the, the third question then is how? How do we fast? This one won't take a lot of time. But just uh, there's always questions about, well, how do I fast? You know, when you fast, do you do just water? Or does it a, I've heard a partial fast. And how long should you fast? And, and so, of course, all this can be directed by the Holy Spirit. But in the Bible, the normal fast is abstaining from all food and beverages other than water. That's the normal fast. And normally in the Bible, it's for a day, but there can be several examples of longer ones. Um, There is something in the Bible that we call a partial fast. We only have one example, which kind of shows why it's more an exception to the rule. And that's of Daniel in Daniel chapter 10, where he went on, uh, it said a fast where he ate no choice food uh, or drink. And so it specifically says he ate no meat, he ate no wine, so possibly like a vegetarian uh, type thing. And he did that for 21 days. So we don't know why, maybe because of his uh, government responsibilities is one theory. Um, we also have examples in the Bible of what we call a total fast, which is no food, no water. That's very unusual, usually only in time of dire crisis. You know, more than about three days would be health-wise very dangerous. And this is probably a good time to say that you know, that if you're going to go on an extended fast, especially more than two, three days, um, that it's probably good to check with a doctor, make sure you're, you're physically safe to do so. And a practical tip is whenever you fast, uh, and this is really important for me in particular, because I, I don't like drinking water. I know some of you just love water, but my wife calls me a camel, like you never need to drink. And uh, I don't like water, I don't like the taste of water unless I'm working out. And so I don't drink water, but what I found during fasting, especially an a, a extended fast, is your body really needs water during a fast. So you want to drink a ton of water. And I, I can feel it. I'll start feeling weak, and I'll just down like a liter of water at one time and just feel my whole body coming back to life. So that's really important. So what you'll find um, is that uh, in the Bible, you have one-day fast, you have three-day fast, you have seven-day fast, you have 21-day fast, you have 40-day fast. Obviously, those aren't the only limits. The Holy Spirit may lead you to something between there. Um, But one of the things is that I put some resources there uh, on your note sheet. I believe I did. Somewhere in there. Uh, And I'd highly recommend them, especially the one from Bill Bright. Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew. And he was a huge advocate of the power of fasting. And so if you go, if you just Google that, uh, that, that article... They'll come up with a great article on many different aspects about fasting, very user-friendly, easy to go through, go through in different stages, you know, uh, many other FAQs. Uh, And then the last question is what? And by what, I mean uh, not what to do, but what to expect. 
Like if you do fasting, what should you expect? And I want to break this down into what, ex- what to expect physically and what to expect spiritually. So let's start physically. If you were to read uh, books on fasting by, you know, uh, fasting fans, you know, uh, Christians who love fasting, and they've written a book on it, what they would describe is that usually when you fast, about day three or four, that you will lose your hunger because your digestive system uh, shuts down. Your mind gets very clear, which is why it's really a kind of your, like high mental energy uh, ready for, for God to speak. Um, and so I've read this many, many times, and so I believe it's true because I've read it many times, but it's not true for me. Uh, I am always hungry when I'm fasting. Um, and so what I'm trying to do is give you the spectrum here so that if you're like on day five and you're like, hey, they said, you know, it's like there's nothing wrong with you, at least nothing wrong with you that isn't wrong with me. Um, so, uh, and what you'll find is that, uh, you know, like her question is like, well, in seven days, will I be falling over? Uh, will I, you know, do I need to be in bed? And the answer is No. That uh, when you're fasting uh, longer periods of time, I wouldn't do a lot of physical exertion, my working out, climb a mountain, something like that. But you can usually do your normal life. Your body will do just fine. Um, and you know, I checked with her yesterday. She's doing great. And so there's really no concerns. Now, if you go longer than seven days, uh, somewhere in there you will begin winding down. Not, not hurt in any way, but you'll begin winding down and you're, you, you'll, you'll have less energy. You may need more sleep and so on. But um, especially under seven, probably should be fine. Now, um, next let's talk about what to expect um, uh, spiritually. Again, if you read the books, what they'll say is that when you fast, that you're going to experience the presence of God in a very powerful way. That as your mind clears uh, and, and God is going to draw close, um, the word's going to come alive, prayer's going to be much easier, it's going to be easier to hear the voice of God, um, just spiritually going to be on high alert, like it's going to be a great time. And this was exactly, this person, I was sharing her seven-day experience, that's exactly what's happened to her. Um, but I also want to say that often, it's, it's not, at least sometimes it's not that way. Usually for me, that my times with the Lord, I'm much closer to the Lord uh, before the fast than during the fast. And I don't know why this is, but often I'll have a real intense sense of calling to fast, very sense of presence, but once I'm in the fast, it's, not a sen- it's more of a flat line. It's more of an act of obedience. It's more of an act of endurance. And I've just learned not to worry about that, just to trust to let the Lord do what the Lord wants to do. What I've often found, though, is even in the midst of that uh, kind of flat line or just kind of you know, basic, nothing different sort of thing, that the Lord may often speak. Like one, one example was back in 2003. Um, I was at a previous church where I'd been for about 20 years. And back in 2003, I felt like the Lord called me to go on a very long fast. And during that long fast, which was very humdrum most of the time, and it wasn't like a super close time with the Lord or whatever. It was before the fast started, but not during the fast. Um, But the Lord spoke two things that were very powerful and profound. Uh, One is he told me that in 18 to 24 months, you're going to go through a major life change. And number two was that I want you to go back and get your doctorate, which was interesting because I just told a friend two weeks before I will never get my doctorate. <laughs> and what's interesting, if, if you fast forward 18 months to the day from the start of that fast, 
Lynn and I slipped in the back row at Rocky Peak because they had called considered to come. And 24 months to the day is when God confirmed we were supposed to come. And, uh, and during that 24 months, I got all my coursework done on my doctorate, which prepared me in ways that I didn't even know I needed to help lead here. And so it was interesting because if you say, what was it like during that long fast? It was like, did you sense the presence of God? Really, uh, Not so much, but these two things he told me. And my experience has been that when he calls me to go on a longer fast, that something, uh, it, it may not seem very well as supernatural during the time, but usually like within a week or two afterwards, something breaks free, either in the spiritual realm or the physical realm, that's very significant. And so all I'm doing is painting a picture for you to say your experience may be more like the young lady this week is having an incredible time of closeness with God, or your time may be very mundane and lead to, to you know, but, but lead to some kind of spiritual breakthrough. But don't measure the experience by your emotion, measure it by your obedience. All right? Because if the Lord is, what did Jesus say? He said, when you fast and you seek your Father, He said, the Father will what? Reward you. And so we're going to leave that in God's hands. But there are times in our life where God's going to call us to put aside our food because there's something we're hungry for more than food. And it's a powerful tool in the hand of the Spirit. And so if he calls as a church, we want to learn to listen and follow. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're just thankful to be here and to be under your leadership and tutelage as a church. Father, we, we sense your Spirit here shepherding us leading us. We've felt that the last six months as we've gone through Rooted, Pursuing God, and now an unfiltered series as you're shepherding us. You're calling us deeper. You're teaching us how to listen for your voice, how to listen and follow, how to put ourselves in a place of your leadership. And so, Lord, we pray you'd continue that journey. We pray that you'd give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying. And we pray that if and when there's a time where you're calling us to enter into a fast, that we would simply listen and follow and trust those results to you. And most of all, Lord, we pray that you would give us a hunger and thirst for you that exceeds all other hungers. For you promise that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And we pray, Lord, as we bring you our tithes, our gifts, as we continue to pursue you now, we pray you'd unleash a new hunger in us. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? As we uh, wrap up today, a couple things. First of all, whether you're here or over in the ridge, that to my right and your left and both of our worship venues, uh, we've got prayer teams with badges on. If they'd love to pray with you about anything that you have need prayer, prayer for. Uh, hope you can join us next week as we continue this journey through the most famous message in the history of the world as Jesus tackles the next topic of righteousness. Of, of what does it look like to to pursue God and be transformed. And, and what does that require? That's going to be a great, a great time together. And so I hope you can be with us uh, next week uh, as I'll be here teaching on that. And then, um, and then today as we close, uh, may the Lord be with you. And may the Holy Spirit be hovering over your life. May the Spirit that hovered over creation over the face of the earth and call forth beautiful things. May that spirit of Yahweh, the Ruach Elohim, 
May the Spirit of God be upon you this week. May He shepherd you. May He teach you. May He convict and lead and encourage and strengthen and empower. May you experience the presence of God hovering over your life, calling out beautiful things, reminding you who you are and the great destiny that you're called to. You would rise up to be the person God has created you to be as you listen and follow, transform to be like your Father in the heavens. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you next week.